Welcome back to Futuristic Feminists. I'm your host, Michelle Mullet. On today's episode, I'm talking to the unstoppable Sam Hammer. She's an activist, a provocateur, and a mom of two feisty twin girls. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Here we go. Hi, welcome to the second episode of Futuristic Feminists. I'm Michelle Mollett, and today my special guest is Sam Hammer. She's a woman that she's a recent uh, graduate of Emerge Training, and she's a former candidate for state senate. She ran for the fifth Middlesex district in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So, welcome, Sam. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm awesome. Ready to talk about the future is female. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I try to live most of my my mind. Anyway. <laughs> right. So today, Sam, I'm so glad you have, took the time to come out here, and I wanted to talk, first of all, about how, you know, this book came out by Rebecca Tracer called Good and Mad, and um, <clears throat> she kind of goes through the history of big social movements and how they may change through anger as a great motivator. So I feel like we're living in those kind of times, um, so maybe I just want to hear your thoughts on that, and... Um, especially with the Women's March tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I'm fascinated. I'm interested in reading the book or hearing a, an abridged version in a podcast form. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, anger is a great motivator. Um, I, anger happens, I believe, when people see a better way of doing things but just don't have the power to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I was before I decided to run for office because I was very happy working inside and doing the work of public service, but I could see um, what was happening on Beacon Hill and right. felt that there was there's a better opportunity for people. They could work harder for people who really need it the most. They're not speaking the language of people uh, on the ground and what they need. And um, I talk about it as um, on the precipice of insanity when you're screaming into the abyss and nobody hears you. Right. That's where I was. And um, I was either going to fall off the precipice and... Just be a big mess. <laughs> be, be, be a big mess, but I'm um, still working at still working there. Or uh-huh. I had to take the leap and at least articulate a better way of um, governing, a better a better way of serving people, um, and a better way of actually just hearing the issues that people are actually having. Right, and for me, I feel like um, you know, there's a progression where. You start to do activism, you start to volunteer, you become parts of these communities and these movements, whatever groups you're working with. But there gets to a point where you're only doing so much. And so the more I lobbied and worked for Moms Demand Action and ACLU and I'm at the State House, I'm realizing there's another level here of power mm-hmm. that I need to be at if I want to make significant, impactful change long term, not mm-hmm. just you know, this year. So I think that's an, that's an important message from Emerge and for women thinking about running for office or intimidated by running for office. It's like you're already doing the work. Right. This is just the next level of that kind of work if you're truly devoted, like, to community and changing, you know, laws. Right. Because, you know, there are – you don't have to be an elected official in order to – have the power to make decisions on behalf of other people, but it certainly is in the job <laughs> uh, title. I think, yeah, I think um, it helps. <laughs> and I, you know, it, it's, we're doing, you know, like you said, we are doing all this work. We just don't have the power to make that final decision. Um, 
and um, there are so many obstacles to getting there, but I think, thanks to Emerge for me as well, um, they help to lay out what those barriers to entry are so you can see them clearly right. and then overcome them. Mm-hmm. And I think in midterms, as far as like our state house and how many women got elected, that changes the whole uh, dynamic as well inside the state house and when the state legislators connect to their communities these women represent a voice that hasn't been heard in a long time right. in certain districts and that turns into you know having different leaders and a different culture as well I just hope like, so yeah i hope so too i think so <laughs> so um representation matters right mm-hmm. that's a good segue um tell me why <laughs> um i think uh, not all humans are born with the empathy gene, this and some, sometimes uh, we we wake up when we experience something, and other times you actually live that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't have people who are in either situation, better to have lived through that experience um, your whole life to really understand what your constituents are going through, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to put yourself in their shoes. If you've actually walked in their shoes, if, you, if those were your shoes, you are going to better understand what their life is actually like. And um, right. that's why representation matters, because if you are at the table, um, you're, you instantly are bringing with you your entire perspective on life and your history to that table where it does not exist right now. Right, and that's why, and I mean, I think that's why Ayana and Alexandria won. Um, she literally like wore holes into her shoes. I heard that they went into some museum. I think Smithsonian or something <laughs> bought them. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I you know I learned recently is something called transformational leadership. Okay. Have you ever heard that? Um, I, I'm going to deduce what it may be, but please <laughs> tell. Um, so it's talking. It's thinking about how leaders that want change in as many ways possible. So it's the disruptors, the creative thinkers, um, idealizing influencers. So when we talk about the future as female and thinking about America, what that looks like 10, 20, 50 years out, um, I wonder what, what kind of steps will we need to take and what kind of leaders will we find to get to that place where women are, you know, 60% of Congress or something. Yeah. So I have been thinking a lot about this um, because there's a, I, in, in the civic tech community and have been since the, the beginning of mm-hmm. Code for America and all these groups that just are giving of their time to make government services modern for people. Okay, so what is Code for America for people that don't know oh, that? Code for America is a national nonprofit that um, individuals, it's like Teach for America, but it's for people who have highly technical skills to give one year of their life towards building government technology. Oh, okay. So there are teams that are embedded um, within city governments mostly, mm-hmm. um, sometimes in state government as well, and they work on a project, they design the project and they build it and then they deliver um, a better, more modern um, service hmm. for people. Um, so it's wonderful. But we're all we're all aging up. <laughs> Those that were in the early days, uh-huh. and we're hitting this 
ceiling where how are we going to we've been frustrated we've been beaten down it's been it's been over about 10 years since we've started this type of work mm-hmm. and there's this ceiling that exists um at this at this level where we either have to take the leap to try to blow through the ceiling and run for office or we don't we there's just like a big question mark of what we're going to do um and so when you talk about transformational leadership and how leaders can make that transformation the way that i see the future happening Mm -hmm. is by empowering those change agents that don't have the power to make change so a lot of the work that i did um was when i was at lower levels of government and just Mm -hmm. able to make things happen an army of people like that actually having decision-making power who understand how government actually works and then is able to get in and make decisions that is the future that i want to see because the people who are in those buildings working Mm -hmm. really hard um not only whether they've lived it or not they're again they're developing their empathy gene for the people that they're serving for them to sit at the table and say, this is how this line item of business works in government, or this is not how it actually works, is going to be very powerful. Right. Because right now, the bar- again, the barriers to entry, including money. Um, That's a big one. It's mm-hmm. a big one. It yields a certain type of candidate, one who probably has not started as an admin <clears throat> in a small government agency. Right. So I want the future for me is actually empowering people who have done the work um, to be able but to. But only to. I also see a future in which um, our like activists who are out there doing the work that government is not doing mm-hmm. are also a really powerful group to eventually make decisions because they are in it. They are on the ground with the problems at hand with the constituents and communities that are being directly impacted by bad policy or bad decisions Mm -hmm. to have them the AOCs right to have them come out and be able to make decisions uh, or to have a a louder voice Mm -hmm. um, that's also the future that I see they bring political courage with them and that is one thing that we are seriously lacking right the days of uh, these Dems getting elected and then becoming these kind of middle of the road milk toast leaders that don't have any kind of creative, innovative action, or they just simply don't live up to the things they promised when they ran. Like I feel like that's done. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Good I hope so. I really hope so. But we have some <laughs> inherent. The way that our system is set up is to protect itself. We have some inherent issues with that where. As a candidate, right. you can mm-hmm. you can fundraise all year round, and you have the power, and you have the organizations that are supporting you because you're in the middle of negotiations with them to pass their agenda. Mm-hmm. That comes that's a lot of power behind that. Um, if you're in the inside a government employee, you cannot fundraise for your behalf. I know there's some women in class right now that are trying to figure that out and navigate it. It's it's really complicated. It's really complicated. Um, it money is a huge huge issue. Um, I don't need to necessarily talk about my race and starting $100,000 behind, <laughs> but that's a big problem. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe we can, we ha- I, I believe we have to level that campaign finance um, playing field a lot more. I- right, but I think also what's going to happen if we're talking kind of long-term futuristic plans is that 
once women, let's say now we have a lot more women at the state house, that means those women, while they're working, now they can support up and coming candidates with their own, you know, kind of fundraising network. And that grows as well over time. But of course, it's not there at this point. It is not at all there at this point. <laughs> there's not. Um, there's still a lot of protecting your colleagues and protecting the incumbency because the power structure is set, including for existing wonderful lawmakers. Uh-huh. So are you saying like on the state level, even though, let's say you're a woman of color, you just ran, you won, you're a freshman uh, kind of senator, you feel a lot of pressure to kind of go the way things always went? Um, I'm even, even steps before that. Uh-huh. If we want to have parity in the state house and we want women to be there, uh-huh. they are going to have to unseat some of the men whether you like them or not, whether they're a good colleague or not. Do you, are you willing to sacrifice your current relationship and power structure to allow a brand new fabulous lady to sit at the table? Or do you perpetuate the power structure and support it and, right. and not? I had some pretty uncomfortable conversations and lots of no conversations with amazing, wonderful women throughout that already had power. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a pariah. I was um, Hester Prynne with a scarlet letter. What, trying to set up meetings with current female legislators? Yeah. and So that they wouldn't even call you back sometimes? I'm shaking my head, yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and not just at the state level, but also in the municipal. I was trying to, I was running in six municipalities. Uh-huh. Um, women who support other women openly um and so wait you're talking about like you know going to different towns and like select boards and things like that okay yeah so even at that level yeah people just not women just being like oh you know what i really gotta go or i'm sorry i just don't have the time um that's ridiculous i even confronted one there was one i went to um an event for women at the state house and one of my like role models was up there like imploring women like inspiring the women in the audience to run Mm -hmm. to run for office to run for the state senate specifically run run we need you at the table go out there do it chased her after and i blocked the elevator door a little bit (laughs) and i said hi um i wanted to say you were really inspiring in there and that woman that you were asking to run that highly capable um, passionate woman that you're asking to run, I am right here. I know you've already endorsed the opponent. Uh, and she said yes. And I said... <clears throat> Who is a man, right? My opponent was a man. Yeah, so for people that didn't know that, right? <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, it was really awkward. I said, look, like, I know you don't know much about me. Mm-hmm. I have been in government a long time. I get how this works. I loved you before, and I will love you after. But to not even take a moment and to then vocally and emotionally and mentally kind of shut me down moments after you encouraging just... hundreds of women to run for office, specifically the seat I was, like the body that I was running for, exactly. was kind of a shocker. So I like was visibly shaken when I walked away. I thought I, I was like, played it cool in front of her, and then I walked away and I was like, no, I was shaking. I'm not going to let it go. Yeah. I was shaking. And, um, it, that was, that's been really hard um, because she's the reason I wanted to be there. 
she oh. and these other women. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's hard. That is really hard. It It's a bummer, and you have to, in the moment and throughout the race, you have to just let it go and then hope that you get in so mm-hmm. that you can still, you know, fulfill your your the destiny not your destiny yeah to be dramatic you know i just barely started learning how to do that where if something has like someone has said something that's like hurt me or it was just not thoughtful or you know something happened where there was like uh we're not connecting here and before i would just be like "Mm, it's not my place to bring this up or kind of cause conflict but now i feel emboldened and not even emboldened but like I'm, I should speak up because this is where things happen right. on these microaggression mm-hmm. levels yeah. of like being dismissive, talking down to someone, ignoring them, um, and interrupting them. You know what I mean? I do. So I have been calling that out and it's, it's made a huge change, not only for me to like build up this confidence level, but also just say no, enough. That's enough of that. Let's, let's just be clear. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not somebody that's gonna let this go. It's hard. It's still hard to do that. I think we try to think in the long game. Like mm-hmm. How is my, how is my behavior right now going to impact me later? And I think our gender, um, just happens to do that more often than the other. Mm-hmm. In the other, it's more of how is my behavior right now going to put me in a better power structure with the other person. So. I think I need to work on that too. I certainly didn't cry in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly didn't right. kind of cower away. Mm-hmm. I was emo- I was I was mad, and right. I was sig- sizably disappointed, um, and did stand my ground by saying at least that I know you don't know anything about me. I would love it if you took some time to know anything about me. Mm-hmm. Which she was not going to do, right. even though, again, I. So, yes, women helping women. When we have the future in ten years, where we are the majority in governing right. bodies, and not just grappling with the internal power structure that's already there, but it's shifted, so it's that you shifted. don't have to. But then you have to be enlightened that. enough as a human, not just as a, a woman, to be able to say, "Yeah, I've been here long enough." This particular person whether Mm -hmm. they're younger or not they would represent our constituents better I'm going to do something else Mm -hmm. that is rare if not um, impossible so throughout my campaign I I felt the privilege of being able to run I worked really hard we saved up quite a bit my husband took a second job because I couldn't work at the job that I had because it was in public service it was crazy um, but I always said, if somebody else steps up, even the next time, who better serves this community, I don't need to be here. I don't need to have my name on a ballot. I don't, I don't need, as long as somebody is making a good decision on my behalf, I'm good. Right. That was not happening. <clears throat> I think also, um, when we deal with public figures, it sounds like, you know, sometimes the public persona doesn't match up with their actual work ethic and hmm. what they stand for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. So that's something, another invisible factor. <laughs> okay, moving on. <clears throat> Why don't we rewind about 2,000 years back to the beginning of Rome? <laughs> <laughs> I was there. Were you there? 
Absolutely. Can't you tell? <laughs> By my grace. <laughs> so anyway, um, this woman, this amazing historian, Mary Beard, um, she's written tons of books about Rome. But this one, SPQR, there's a whole um, chapter on Rome's Great Leap Forward. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit as far as, like, if we're going to zoom out and the scope of things for the podcast is, like, futuristic, you know, female-led um, legislation and a female-led country, what does that look like? And so for Rome, something happened similar where it's, like, you had this patriarchal society that monopolized all the political power. Does that sound familiar? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where we are at this time, I feel like. Um, and when you're at a turning point like that, I wonder what do you think would need to happen so that these huge sweeping changes take place? Like, is that a slow burn of like the next 50 years, I, even longer? I, I don't have that kind of time. I don't know about you. I no. I just don't. And the urgency that I feel. You're right. Um, I I don't have that kind of time to waste or to wait. Right. Ayana even said change can't wait. Right. What does that look like? It looks like it looks like potentially the people who are in power right now who want to retain their authority. Mm-hmm. They might not participate in a movement to level the playing field. In fact, they probably won't. Things like term limits or campaign finance reform. They're probably not going to participate. And so it has to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. De- voting reform, democracy reform. The fact that incumbents get count. an I next to their name. It, things like that just mm-hmm. perpetuate and strengthen and keep the establishment in place. If we want to actually get to the future mm-hmm. that I want, that we see together... We need to level the playing field because people should be able to make a decision on who the better candidate is equally, fairly. Right. I mean, that makes sense. I've never even thought about even just the infrastructure of elections. You know, that's what you're talking about. It's like there is a systemic lean towards incumbency and towards men Yes. On the ballot. I mean, they happen to be men right now. <laughs> uh, they well, to what be a men. wonderful problem we would have if it was women. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Um, and maybe we'll do away with terminal meds, but they, maybe we'll reinstate them when we get in. I don't know. I don't know how. I like how that. Gre- sure, why not? I can't determine how greedy we will be in the future. Um, but these barriers are very real. The fact that you can carry over massive balances in your campaign account when some when the other, your new uh, challenger starts with zero. Um, That's crazy. Oh, other things like um, at some civic organizations, Rotary, Chambers, mm-hmm. the sitting elected official can certainly walk right in and make a speech. Candidates cannot. Oh my God. That's um, ridiculous. <laughs> it's to all so, things. Oh my God. And again, the, and the existing power structure as it relates to, especially a lot of the campaign, because our our elections in Massachusetts are so much later in the year. Mm-hmm. So while the campaign was going, session was still going as well. The people that I was asking for endorsements for, mm-hmm. like organizations, were negotiating at the table with the incumbent. 
So, of course, they're not going to take a political risk at that time. It doesn't behoove them to do that. Right. They're negotiating for legislation still at the, t- at the, at the table. Um, some organizations wow. refused to even take my application because the power structure exists. So not only is it amongst those who are already there and they protect themselves of all shapes and sizes, but also the environment as a whole also protects incumbency. Right, that goes out even farther to nonprofits and wow. Yeah. I'm just trying and then to also, take this all in. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's not insurmountable for sure. Mm-hmm. Because at the but end, to even not even, I mean, we are always thinking about this. Like for the average voter, who's thinking about that? You know what nobody. I mean? Nobody. Endorsements don't matter. It matters because... I like endorsements and the fact that you're, for me, if I'm looking for an endorsement, I feel like I'm showing what is like a priority for me and sure. what I want to work on through new laws with these organizations like so example Sierra Club so sure. if I'm thinking about environmental laws and things that I would like to see in the future like wind power and solar power then I feel like that endorsement is more of a reflection of this is me forward thinking yeah. and this is who I want to align with yep I'm not going to disagree if the if you happen to be challenging an incumbent who is not um favored by the Sierra Club already, you may have a chance. Right. But I will tell you, and all of the listeners of the world, (laughs) the one million uh, listeners. Right. Hi. (laughs) That the power structure is is more, the incumbent power is stronger than the values and mission of these organizations. I did not get any endorsement. I got one endorsement. From, from s- someone that was connected to the incumbent. Or no, not? no. From a fabulous union um, for um, hospitality and uh, food workers. Mm-hmm. I was so grateful and shocked. <laughs> but if you think of all of the wonderful organizations who work on issues that we care very deeply about, mm-hmm. all of them lean toward the incumbent. All of them. Because who better to legislate a woman's body than a man? God. All of them. I know. That was infuriating when that happened. So I am I am an optimist to the death. But this was a true eye-opener. True eye-opener. Because there's nobody who... And I have worked for these causes as well. I may not have been sitting at the table and legislating on them. But I've mm-hmm. certainly put blood, sweat, and tears into working for these organizations and for the causes that they have it did not matter and I get it yeah so if there is that kind of infrastructure problem what would be one way to like break down the power of an incumbent the voters because at the end of the day they matter they matter most and they have the power and the ballot box right and so just like Emerge teaches you doors win we knocked on Mm -hmm. so many doors we knocked how many Oh, my God. Just tell me. I know. It's a huge uh, I This hurts my brain to think. Tha- thousands. We, yeah. um, How big is Melrose? I mean... There are around 27,000 people, around 18, almost 19,000 are voters. Okay. But we also had Malden and Wakefield, Reading, right, so. Stoneham, and a part of Winchester. Um, and we we just knocked... We are out there every night, every mm-hmm. night knocking on doors. Um, I know. 
go on a karaoke party. Going to karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment in the campaign. Just uh, knock, knock. Oh, I will sing for votes, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you have to meet the people who actually end up hiring you. I had, I had to... It was so. It, there were so many emotional like barriers to entry that irrational. I'll call them irrational. Uh-huh. Irrational power structure that is in place and barriers to entry that you put the irrational aside, and you have to just think very pragmatically. I am applying for a job, very, very publicly. Public. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been thinking of too. <laughs> I'm applying for a job very publicly, and I need to convince X number ten thousand people mm-hmm. to hire me. Regardless of all the right. other candidates, he's a gay. I mean, come on. But as <laughs> long as you're very, <laughs> as long as you're very pragmatic about it, and you keep your head on, and you just stick to your true north, right? Um, you you can just power through. You just power through through all of the doors in your face, to all of the phone calls that aren't returned, to mm-hmm. all of the stink eyes given to you across the room. To all of the, yeah, all of that. All of your friends who were once friends who weren't friends anymore. Like, it's not the, personal. The flip-floppers? <laughs> it's not, this is not personal. I am literally just applying for a job. Mm-hmm. That there's somebody in that job, but every two years, you get to decide who best represents you. Exactly. I'll let you choose. That's how you get through this. You have to, like, just not ignore that other stuff. You put it in your mind. And then you put it out of your mind and you just keep going. Right. How important was it to have like a campaign manager that kept you on task when you had these moments of like, you know what, like this guy just yelled at me, whatever? Um, I think you need a good friend mm-hmm. with those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to find uh, I, an acquaintance that I liked very much who became my campaign manager and is now my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very, very very lucky the gods of fate gave me this amazing experienced woman who was not thrilled with her current employment situation and was willing to take a risk and her family was also willing to take that risk with her that is very rare but she knew how to communicate the heck out of things like she was and smart i used to say like she is enlightened enough to be really passionate mm-hmm. And she's really smart enough to articulate that passion. And she has the courage to publish her well-articulated passion. (laughs) (laughs) That is very rare. Um, So having her with me, we were, I I would say she's like 51% of this campaign. She kept the whole thing moving forward. Um, Yeah, I went and knocked on doors with her one day. And it was awesome. She, I think... Out of all the campaigns I worked on, she was the one that was like, had the most energy, um, didn't, you know, didn't get phased by a lot of people not being home or just not interested in having a conversation, yeah. um, just kind of bounced yes. from one thing to the next. And yeah. I really love that. I, I hope I can find someone in that, you know, to help me in that way. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, it, um, it, it mattered so much. I think traditional campaign managers are really wonderful souls who give a lot of themselves um and i think i just i lucked out on finding my best friend um i used to say we're like Mora and tara healy (laughs) (laughs) but only in my dreams but being able to do this and to like fight essentially we were fighting it was us against the world 
<laughs> and we would take and collect amazing um, troops with us along the way. Wow. But to not have that, I don't know what I would have done. I wasn't planning on having a campaign manager. We had zero dollars and actually yeah. negative dollars. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it was going to be really hard. But being able to have... Give her some kind of stipend, right? Like, just, I want to give you something. Um, So you figured that out, though. We figured that, well, because once we had a team, we were co-founders of Team Friends for Sam Hammer. (laughs) That was our company. And we were co-founders at that point. Right. And she did her role, and I did my role, which opened some of this up to getting fundraising we, we we divided and conquered but we worked together there wasn't anything that the other person couldn't do for the other person well that takes me into um one other thing is just so post campaign kind of looking back what are some takeaways from your first was that your first campaign right yeah so what are some takeaways <laughs> from the first campaign that you feel like you're gonna do again next time if you run or you're not gonna do just for let's say my friends that emerge that are yeah. Kind of looking at a campaign head on right now. I'm going to do it all again this exact same way we did it the first time. <laughs> Honestly. Really? Everything was just um, worked out. We could have done better. Like, we stuck to our field plan. Mm-hmm. Our field plan could have included more doors in Reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are. I feel mo- like the machinery is there. Oh, and God, it, yes. It needs no. Like well, I mean, tweaking. tweaks, yes, for sure, sure. Um, but nothing major. Like, you no. don't have a film blank position or whatever. I mean, we could have done everything we did better. Always, always, of we course, do things better. But, but our mantra was, um, we are going to run as fast as we can, and work as hard as we can with no regrets. And at the end of the day, we are going to throw our hands up in the air and let the voters decide whatever happens. Um, right. I mean, we were at a sizable disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Sizable. A seemingly well-liked incumbent with a lot of money and power. Right. How many years had he been there? Um, he'd been in his seat in this uh, Senate seat, I think, since 2014. I deleted all these facts. When I left. <laughs> <Can't> <laughs> but like, he was, I a, he was a state rep for two of the municipalities um, that I lost greatly in um, since 2007 or eight. We could have spent more time. Again, the voters matter. The, the votes that we actually got out of Stoneham, we earned because we were there. We should have spent more time there. But what we did, what we were able to do in Malden, we put most of our energy in Malden and Wakefield and, of course, Melrose. Is, like, I, I, you can find me slithering around this city all day long. <laughs> um, I think that's how we could have, but, yeah, we would do, we would do it exactly the same. Cause awesome. We, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a rarity when you just do your first campaign. And that probably pays tribute to the power of Emerge Training, right? Yeah. They showed you this is what a campaign plan looks like. They, this is how do you get from here to there. Yes. they. It was kind of like a preview. So once I got this thing called Vote Builder, I'm like, I know I need that because they told me I needed that. <laughs> they showed me what it looked like, like for like... It's very important. It's very just, important. Let's just get this now. Step one is save up for Vote Builder. Um, because they showed it to me for an hour. I'm like, I don't know how this thing works, but hey, I'm tech savvy. We're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then we had people, we had some amazing advisors along the way 
who had done this before, who developed our entire field plan. As far as like the same level campaign or? Higher. Oh, okay. Like congressional campaign people. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I know. We're excited about. Yeah, I mean, what a difference days. if you have someone that has gone through this and can help you. And it, she was at the ready at a phone call always. That's awesome. Um, we didn't have to call the bat phone too often, but she did lay out our, she like <laughs> built our entire field plan in a hot second. Um, and then you were off and running. And after. we were off and running. That's and we pivoted. Amazing. We were very nimble. Like you've got to be nimble. You, you can stick to the values of your plan, but There's, um, yeah, you have to be able to pivot a little bit on tactics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd do it all over again. And I don't have to do it for me. Although, again, I feel like I'm going to go insane if somebody doesn't make better decisions on my behalf. And <laughs> if nobody else right. is able, I will do it. But yeah, I'd be happy to do it for somebody else or a cause that I really cared about. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're only my second guest, so I'm so honored. Deal. I love this. <laughs> um, and I do want to take away with a kind of call to action. So let's just think about why should young women take up the call to run for office? Because our voice is not at the table, exclamation point. Right. At all levels of government. Um, yeah, we're just not there at all. We're not there at all. And... Although I find it sexy and no one else does, um, the real power, the real impact on your community, the real differences start at the very local level, and that's where we build our bench. So our our local city councils, select boards, town councils, that is where differences are made. That is where we get trained to govern Mm -hmm. um, and make hard decisions and decisions that impact people's lives we need to, and we win when we run we need to flood our cities and towns with lots right. of there's two open candidates. seats in north reading select board they just announced just saying they asked me to run does anybody but... live there that you know um i don't know i'm thinking about it i mean not for me <laughs> but i'm trying to think who else could do that job Some because what ends place. up happening is as a candidate you can start to, you you start the process you start the visualization of people seeing you as an elected official. Mm-hmm. And then it's easier to make that, you're just climbing the rungs at that point. Although not easy, but you are climbing, you're at least on the ladder. <laughs> exactly. Um, starting as kind of a nobody. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, sometimes people don't realize how powerful some of those like school committees, huge. select boards are in certain areas. Huge. You know, when it comes to affordable housing, um, dealing with local issues, if it's a drug problem or, you know, fill in the blank. Everything. Yeah. Local, our local, it, although it's the constituent services, your game has got to be on because as you go to Dunkin' Donuts, you're going to run into people and they're going to ask you about their sidewalk or their potholes. <laughs> get it. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. we need, we need people there. And the other thing I wanted to say about the local level is um, I, after 2016, um, and I took a really critical look at our local elected officials mm-hmm. and that body. And then I saw some of the things that they were deliberating on. Things that local government never had to before, like sanctuary cities. Oh. And some of our, some of our policies on how we protect our own people. Like things that, that, that usually the national government just takes care of. If not, our this states take true, care of. Yeah. I looked at, I took a critical eye to that body and said, 
not all of those people are representing me right now. We need people who are going to represent the values that I have. I'm gonna work really hard for to get people on that board that also hold my values so that they can do the job that I've hired them for. I don't have to work so hard. <laughs> right, so that's back to representation. Representation, matters. local. Local, so run for office, run often, local. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Sam. Thank you, and, um, That does it for this episode. On the next episode of Futuristic Feminists, I'll bring you live excerpts from the recent Boston Women's March, and we'll hear from Massachusetts Sierra Club Director Michelle Brooks. She'll talk about upcoming legislation that focuses on environmental issues for the Commonwealth. Thanks for listening, and as always, the future is female.